0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We're going to hear from some old friends on today's show. One of our Los Angeles correspondents, Bruce Bronstein, will join us in our second segment to talk about the passing of Sci-fi legend Forrest Ackerman. This is not the first time Forrest Ackerman's name has appeared on this program. Ray Bradbury talked about him in our interview. So we think what we'll do is play an excerpt from that as well. And of course, uh, we expect to hear from our old pal Will Durst before we're through. We're hoping to bring you uh, Davisite Tom Bleese to talk about his solution both to our oil addiction and global warming but uh, Tom is going out of town this week so we'll have to postpone that a week or two. We're also going to hear from one of our uh, great local activists Jeannie Keltner in the not-too-distant future. We expect to bring back our our good pal Sean Minton, uh, the person we've interviewed the most on this program to give us uh, his unique perspective on things related to sports. Let's begin this program as we like to do with On This Date in History, which in our case today is December 11th. It was on this date in 1620 that the Mayflower Pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock in Massachusetts. Although the date is sometimes given as either December 21st or 22nd, as both the Julian and Gregorian calendars were in use at that time, though England didn't officially recognize the Gregorian calendar until 1752. Today's a red-letter day for interior decorating. It was on December 11th in 1769 that Edward Bevan of London, England, patented Venetian blinds. On this date in 1844, nitrous oxide, sometimes known as laughing gas, became the first dental anesthetic when Dr. John Riggs uses it for tooth extraction on Dr. Horace Wells in Hartford, Connecticut. Dr. Wells is one of these subsequent candidates for her, uh, uh, for being the father of anesthesiology, we've been meaning to talk about who actually fathered uh, the art, this art of anesthesia, uh, with our pal Peter Donahue from Australia, which we also hope to bring to you in the next, say, six weeks. On this date, December 11th, in 1941, Adolf Hitler declared war on the United States in the wake of the Japanese bombing of Pearl Harbor. This brought America, which had been neutral, into the European conflict. Many have speculated over what would have happened if Hitler and Mussolini had not declared war in the United States. And by the way, and what I promise will be the last bit of forward promoting on this program, we're going to speak with a physician who took part in World War II, both in the European and Japanese theaters. Dr. John Linner, age 90, has written a memoir, Normandy to Okinawa, a Naval Medical Officer's Diary and Overview of World War II. It's a good read, and we're looking forward to speaking with Dr. Linner, uh in the next week or two. And finally, on December 11th 1972, U.S. Apollo 17 landed on the moon's surface for a three-day exploration. It was, alas, the final Apollo mission to the moon. Although, thank goodness, there is finally some talk now about going back. It's high time we did. Our quote of the day comes from Jim Cramer, that jackass you've probably seen on television who about six weeks ago went on the Today Show and screamed, sell everything, before he trotted over to his CNBC stock picking show. I think anyone dumb enough to to, to take Jim Cramer's stock picks deserves whatever happens to them. But you may want to check out some of the funny websites that uh, you can find that, that analyze some of his picks and note that apparently Jim Cramer believes in buying high, selling low. Our quip of the day comes from U.S. politician William Gibbs McAdoo, who once said, It's impossible to defeat an ignorant man in argument. Our joke of the day is as follows. Father Murphy walks into a pub in Donegal and says to the first man he meets, Do you want to go to heaven? The man says, I do, Father. The priest says, Then stand there over there against that wall. The priest asks the second man, Do you want to go to heaven? certainly father was the man's reply then stand over there against the wall said the priest father Murphy then walks up to O'Toole and says O'Toole do you want to go to heaven O'Toole says no I don't father the priest says I don't believe this you mean to tell me that when you die you don't want to go to heaven O'Toole says oh when I die sure I thought you were trying to get together a group to go now Our stat of the day, and I think in the uh, uh, five and a half years we've been doing this program, this may be the most amazing stat. It's also, in a way, a correction to something we reported on earlier. The Lancet, the distinguished British medical journal, revised a previously published report from health experts from Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland. As you may recall, in autumn two years ago, that study reported that the loss of life in Iraq appeared to be about 600,000. President George W. Bush publicly dismissed the study the day it was released. One Republican I know said he didn't believe it. He wasn't sure why he didn't believe it, but he just didn't believe it. The figure did strike people as shockingly high, but here's the real deal, which is almost as shocking. According to The Lancet, a better, more comprehensive study done by the Iraqi Ministry of Health has downgraded that figure of violent deaths in Iraq between the U.S. invasion, again in March 2003, to the end of June 2006, which now is two and a half years ago, to be between 104,000 and 223,000. So... Those of you who are skeptical that those numbers could be correct, uh, well, you were justified in your uh, skepticism. Except that even the lower number, 104,000, represents almost twice the U.S. casualties in seven years of war in Vietnam. If you take the midpoint of those two figures and figure that 163,000 people have lost their lives and violent deaths in Iraq during that 39-month period, then Iraq lost 4,200 people every month for 39 months, meaning a nation of 16 million people, 1/18th the size of the United States, was losing the same number of casualties we've sustained in Iraq every month for over three years. 163,000 people represents 1% of the population of Iraq. For a nation the size of the United States, that would represent 3 million deaths. So even though this figure has been revised downward, and almost radically so, it still means the number of deaths in Iraq is about one-third of that sustained by the United States in World War II. And I think that's about all I'm going to say about that uh, at this point. I think the numbers speak for themselves. Apparently, a poll conducted a couple weeks ago showed that 37% of Americans still think we found weapons of mass destruction over in Iraq. And I think we really need to go to the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for Deer. After a big buck shot and downed in Missouri, suddenly reared up and attacked hunter Randy Goodman, knocking him to the ground and repeatedly bashing him with his antlers. Goodman described the Deer's revenge as 15 seconds of hell. The Deer's reaction to being shot with a high-powered rifle with using a telescopic sight was not recorded. It was also a a bad week last week for ignoring the fine print when it was revealed that a Seattle artist who was invited to submit a decoration for the White House Christmas tree painted a glass ball with tiny lettering calling for the impeachment of President Bush. The White House said that rather than search through hundreds of balls, it would leave the disrespectful decoration on the tree. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for the Montgomery Township Police. That's in New Jersey. They apparently laid siege to a closed bank after a shadowy figure was seen through drawn blinds. After a tense two-hour standoff, police realized that the suspect was actually a life-size cardboard figure. And from the Only in America file, we have the item that uh, the recession appears to be helping the Army. Thanks in part to the ailing economy, the U.S. Army this year met its goal of recruiting 80,000 soldiers after several years of struggling to make its quota. Said Defense Undersecretary David Chu, the military tends to benefit when things look less positive in civil society. And from the same file, we have this item. A New York jury is awarded $4.5 million to a city detective who fell off his chair and shot himself in the knee. Detective Anderson Alexander, 49, retired on a disability pension, but his lawyer said he deserved extra compensation for pain and the end of his career as a, quote, amateur weekend warrior athlete, unquote, because the chair he sat down in was, quote, defective, unquote. Said attorney Matthew Malarana, Alexander's not a klutz. He's a guy who just leaned back in his chair. He's also a guy who's now a multimillionaire. And his lawyer, if he gets a third of the money, well, he's a millionaire and a half. And no, we here at Radio Parallax are unable to explain how you can fall off a chair and have your gun discharge. Our cartoon of the week, and we love this one, shows a bunch of space aliens landing outside the White House. Three little green men have come down the ramp and are looking at President Bush with his hand stretched out and saying, On second thought, take us to your leader-elect. Speaking of uh, the Bush family, how about this item? Apparently, former First Lady Barbara Bush, the, uh, the queen mother of the, of the current president, was hospitalized a couple weeks ago for abdominal pains and underwent surgery to repair a perforated ulcer. That was on November 25th. She was reportedly in good condition and recovering afterwards. But uh, you got to wonder whether, uh, whether, whether her son's poor standing in the public mind may have contributed to that ulcer. And we talked about this, I think, on last week's program, but an essay by Eugene Robinson uh, in a syndicated column for the Washington Post said it so much better that I think we have to quote from Mr. Robinson. When ABC's Charles Gibson interviewing Bush at Camp David asked the president what one do-over he'd like to have, this was Bush's reply. I don't know. The biggest regret of all the presidency has to have been the intelligence failure in Iraq. A lot of people put their reputations on the line and Said the weapons of mass destruction is a reason to remove Saddam Hussein. It wasn't just people in my administration. A lot of members in Congress prior to my arrival in Washington, D.C. During the debate on Iraq, a lot of leaders of nations around the world were all looking at the same intelligence. And you know, that's not a do-over, but I wish the intelligence had been different, I guess. Said Robinson. Fellow sufferers from Bush derangement syndrome, mind your blood pressure. Just a few weeks more. Hang in there, because there's two more snippets from the interview I have to quote. When Gibson then asked whether there would have been a war in Iraq if Bush had known that Saddam had no WMD, Bush replied as follows, You know, that's an interesting question. That is a do-over, and I can't do. It's hard for me to speculate. Asked Bush what his greatest accomplishment was, he got this response, I keep recognizing we're in a war against ideological thugs and keeping America safe. Said Robinson, observe the astounding selectivity of the president's memory. Just imagine all the other do-overs he could have asked for. He might regret not paying more attention to the August 6, 2001 Presidential Daily Briefing Memo, which was titled, Bin Laden Determined to Strike in U.S. and reported, quote, patterns of suspicious activity in this country consistent with preparations for hijackings and other types of attacks, unquote. He might have wished he hadn't put the nation's emergency response capability in the hands of Michael Brown, a former executive for the International Arabian Horse Association. The president might have volunteered, as he did in a previous interview that his mission-accomplished photo op on the deck of the Abraham Lincoln was a moment he'd like to have back. But no, he told Gibson his biggest regret was a mistake made by others, intelligence analysts who got it wrong. The only inference we can draw from this is that if the intelligence had been more skeptical of Saddam's WMDs, there might not have been an Iraq war. Carl Rowe recently sounded the same revisionist theme, saying that absent weapons of mass destruction, there likely would have been no invasion. But, says Robinson, there was plenty of skeptical intel about Iraq's alleged WMDs, particularly its nuclear program, the potential mushroom cloud that Condoleezza Rice so chillingly evoked. That's a problem with the way Bush is trying to rewrite history. After U.S. forces combed Iraq for WMDs and established that none existed, the administration came up with other backdated rationales for the invasion. And I'm not going to quote from all of it, of course, Eugene Robinson is 100% correct. Of course, uh, the outgoing administration has realized that this is what they need to say. Condoleezza Rice said last week that she regrets the U.S. relied on flawed intelligence as the basis for going to war in Iraq and took partial responsibility for mismanaging the post-invasion occupation. You know, we reported on this contemporaneously, and uh, there were plenty of people saying this was nonsense, including United Nations weapons inspectors. Will the architects of this policy be held accountable uh, once they leave office? Well, we certainly hope so. All right, and some other follow-up. We reported a few weeks back about an excellent, a couple months back, actually, an excellent documentary about Roman Polanski and how his rights were trampled on in U.S. courts. Well, lawyers for Polanski, who's been a fugitive in France for 30 years, filed a request a few weeks back to dismiss the charges against him due to prosecutorial and judicial misconduct. And we hope justice is served. Here's an encouraging item from the news. I like the way this was reported. Headline, Pentagon, missile shot down in simulated attack. Text, the Defense Department said Friday it shot down a missile in a simulated attack designed to test a proposed shield against strikes by a long-range ballistic missile from nations such as North Korea. I like the fact that they report the Defense Department said it shot down the missile. Because basically the Pentagon and its contractors have been rigging these, these tests up till now, basically putting, you know, locators on the missiles so that they could be found in three dimensions and struck and destroyed. And uh, the foreign minister in Kenya called for international action, an armed invasion if necessary, to remove Robert Mugabe from the presidency of Zimbabwe. While we do not think military actions should be taken uh, without, uh, without really thinking it through very clearly, we have to agree with the defense minister that it's time that you know, an international force went in and got that guy out of power, put the duly elected people where they're supposed to be, and start dealing with the humanitarian crisis of food shortages, cholera outbreaks, hyperinflation, and the general utter destruction of the economy of this once thriving and beautiful nation, get it back on track. There seems little chance the U.S. will get interested in such an adventure, however, because Zimbabwe has no oil fields. But for me personally, it just breaks my heart to see this going on and on and on. I was in Zimbabwe 20 years ago, and I think it's fair to say quite literally had my life saved, or at least a disaster averted by the quick actions of a Zimbabwean truck driver. Thanks in no small part to, uh, to poor roads and bald tires, I came very close to being Zimbabwean road pizza. But it wasn't just a truck driver. Everywhere I went in that African nation, I found the people to be just, just as friendly and helpful as people you could find anywhere. They were wonderful, and I'm really sorry to see them suffering uh, through the ham-fisted mismanagement of Robert Mugabe. He's got to go. Now, uh, before we go to break, we need to hear from our old pal, Will Durst, America's foremost political comic.
1: Well, thanks, Doug. And today I want to talk about the governor of Illinois, who publicly revealed himself to be crookeder than a dump truck full of corkscrews. Rod Blagojevich has given a bad name to people with bad names. And he looks to be the fourth governor of the Lincoln state since 1974 to wear prison grays, proving once again that the state of Illinois is to political corruption what Santaland is to elves. Among other illicit infractions of a nature that would induce Spiro Agnew to wince, Blago got caught in tape, putting his appointment of president like Barack Obama's successor to the U.S. Senate up for sale. Asked to comment, the future president tried to keep his distance, which at this point is about 10,000 miles. He went so far as to pretend to have trouble pronouncing the guy's name. Understandable. I mean, with friends like this, who needs rabid backstabbing pit vipers with poisonous talons? Of course, then you think, you know, geez, so a Senate seat. I mean, I bet we could put a serious dent into an auto bailout that way. Besides, how much worse could it get? But that discussion is best left for a later date. Inside the Democratic Party, calls are being made for Governor Blagojevich to resign. Calls are also being made for Governor Blagojevich to curl up and die, to disappear, implode, take a swim in Lake Michigan wearing cement overshoes. But the good news is, should he be convicted, some things are destined to remain the same. He can still commit to fixing the roads of Illinois. It's just that instead of doing it by rearranging budgets and shepherding coalitions wearing a tailored suit, he'll do it with a pointy ended stick and a garbage bag in an orange jumpsuit. <laughs> Wouldn't it be sweet to see a lot more politicians striking that pose? For Radio Parallax, I'm the Wolverine.
0: Always good to hear from Will and I certainly agree that, uh, you know, (laughs) the Illinois governor ought to be beaten like a drum. But I do wonder about all the other crooked politicians the FBI has not been able to get the dirt on the past few years, don't you? I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. We'll be back after a short break with plenty more. I got a dog with legs of black.
1: He got an aerial strapped to his back He worked by remote control I sent him down to the waterhole I sent him to get my baby back Dog come home and eat
0: some coal Say, master, she all full of